Welcome ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Ambitious Accountants. And this is a podcast that balances the books on the diverse world of accountancy. I'm your host, Jay. And uh, if you are an aspiring accountant, a seasoned professional, or just someone a little bit curious to know what makes these financial wizards tick, well, there's something here for everyone. And we have with us on the show today, all the way from New Zealand, Angus. Welcome on the show, Angus. Thanks, Jay. I'm um, privileged to be here. Lovely. And we are privileged to have you on our show as well. And I would like to know of how your journey has been so far as an accountant or how you fell into love with accounting. Well, I pretty much just fell into accounting, to be honest. Um I had uh, studied it uh, for about a year at university and ended up uh, doing an arts degree and then later a Master of Arts and went in a completely separate direction. But I later went into sales and marketing and um, uh, ended up as national manager at MYOB in New Zealand. So I came full circle. Um, And, of course, I was dealing with accountants on a day-to-day basis in terms of software. Uh, finished off my accounting qualifications and decided to buy a practice. Uh, as you said, you came full circle. You never intended to be one, but then you ended up being one. Correct. I was. Exactly. Uh, my brother often reminds me of my, me saying to him that hell would freeze over before I'd become an accountant. <laughs> so I guess hell has freezed over. It but has? Yeah. You said that you kind of fell into accounting and I'm pretty sure that you are now, it's your daily bread and butter. So Mm. just a little bit about your firm, about what it does. Sure. Um, um, I think the the buzzword is we're a boutique practice. In other words, we're not large. We have five staff and myself. Um, And we are predominantly working in the SME sector but with a growing area uh, in not-for-profits and charities. Um, so we offer a broad range of services, um, uh, obviously the compliance services like uh, annual accounts, GST returns, FBT returns, uh, all the stuff to remain compliant with, uh, in our case, the IRD, but like your ATO. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, we're doing an increasing amount of advisory. And we do that in a different way than perhaps some other firms. So that might be something you want to explore. Exactly. Going to be my next question. How different are you from providing advisory with compared to other boutique firms? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm a bit peculiar, I suppose, because most accountants uh, will train in accountancy. And there are a lot of courses to pass in order to get your bachelor's degree and then to go on and be a CPA or CA. Um, And so it tends to be an area of real focus, which it should be. Um, But uh, so that tends to limit the advice that accountants give to those things that they're most familiar with. Um, And I suppose for a financial accountant like myself, where most of my time was spent in public practice, that means uh, the advisory piece tends to be more around management accounting. And so a lot of the go-to advice in the accounting industry is around how you provide 
insights um, into your clients' activities by looking at um, metrics and, and um, other KPIs um, and also analyzing performance. So it's more of a, a management accounting type approach. We certainly do that. But the other thing we do is because I've worked in the corporate sector and at reasonably senior levels and in sales and marketing, um, we, we have a more general discussion, what I call an advisory board. So I don't act as a director of the company, but I'm advising the directors of the company. And we catch up once a month, um, just as, uh, as a normal company board would do. We have an agenda, and certainly uh, the financial discussion is still a major part. But we also go into all sorts of other areas like strategy, health and safety, uh, human relations, a whole raft of things so that it's more holistic. So more or less of a, as you said, to use the word, to use your word, a holistic approach in terms of how the business should move forward and what are the pitfalls that mm. they would be falling mm. down to. One thing I always say to my clients is that big businesses were once small businesses, yes. but they were just really successful small businesses. So there tends to be uh, particularly with small to medium-sized business owners, they're, they're a little bit uh, wary of big corporates and the way that corporates go about doing their business and interacting. But there's an awful lot we can learn from them in the SME sector uh, and some of the disciplines that, uh, that they uh, bring to the way they do their work. So I try to encourage those sorts of disciplines amongst the SMEs um, and to... Um, uh, and to guide them in terms of uh, some of the KPIs that uh, they should be focused on in their businesses. Brilliant, brilliant. And you mentioned that you uh, started your firm 10 years back mm -hmm. and uh, pretty sure it was not a bit of roses. Uh, it certainly wasn't. And uh, Kat mentioned a few hurdles that you successfully crossed and uh, which makes you happy today about your firm. Right. Well, I did the most ludicrous thing possible. I went and yeah. bought an existing accounting firm, oh. saddled myself with debt. Oh. I figured how hard could it be? I suppose almost a little bit arrogant, really, when I think back about it, because uh, I had visited so many accounting firms in my role at MYAB, both in New Zealand and Australia, right. and they tended to be quite cookie cutter. So you go from one firm to the next, and yes, the people were different, and the decor was different, but really they were doing the same thing. So, you know, a decade ago, advisory at the SME level was was fairly cutting edge. Um, so that's really what I set out to do. Um, but to say that I was jumping in the deep end was an understatement. The, the greatest gift that I had looking back was that I was able to keep the existing team members with me on that journey. So uh, when I was, you know, when I think about risk, the biggest area of risk is that that team could just have walked out as I walked in, and that would have been an extremely expensive mistake. But by retaining staff members there, they almost trained me. Uh, so yes, I had the formal accounting knowledge, but I'd never worked in a public practice before, so it was. Um, uh, it was a very steep learning curve. 
there were some things we did early on which um, felt really uncomfortable, but I was really pleased that we did them. Um, one is that we charge for our services by monthly fee rather than by time and cost. Oh. Um, and uh, that way I've never had a fee dispute. Everybody knows what they're going to pay up front okay. um, and, uh, and, and all our clients are happy. And as I say, um, well, I hope they're happy. You can never, you can never <laughs> presuppose. But um, the, uh, uh, the biggest um, area of growth, without a doubt, has been an advisory. Um, the advisory board that I talked to you about earlier. Yeah. Um, and also, um, uh, more of my time is being spent formally in governance roles as well. So, um, you know, I've got to the size now where um, the firm to a degree runs itself. Um, we've got some um, staff with long service who uh, intuitively know what to do when, um, and that's freed me up, I suppose, to move more into governance myself. That, that, that actually makes sense because most of the boutique accounting firms that we interact with, they say that they are a person-led approach where the principal mm. or the partner has to be in the picture in order to lead it. But you have cleverly crafted a systems-led approach where your staff knows what they have to do, the duty, so that you can focus on the bigger picture, as you said, maybe governance, advisory, and so on and mm. so forth. So, but I still answer the phone if I'm here. <laughs> So, um, you know, we don't have a receptionist. We don't have uh, people ring me directly on the cell phone. They ring me at the weekends. They ring me after hours. Um, accessibility is critical. So in a smaller firm, yes, people are content with uh, dealing with staff members on the majority of um, their queries. But occasionally they want to speak to, um, to the principal, I suppose. And so accessibility is key to that. It's really important that I live up to the same standards. We return email same day. We try to return phone calls the same day. Um, and, um, and those service standards are essential as part of uh, differentiating us, oh, particularly yeah. from larger firms too. Particularly, yes, with, with respect to your email etiquette, I really loved it. Because you're far more prompt than what I was when I was inviting you for the podcast. And <laughs> uh, you mentioned that advisory was cutting edge a decade back. What is the most bankable opportunity right now in the accounting industry that you can think of? Mm. Well, there's a lot of change going on in the accounting industry. Um, certainly for partners at the moment, one of the things we were very late to the party with was outsourcing. Um, and we uh, we preferred to do everything in-house. Um, it gave us intimacy. We understood our clients' um, businesses. Um, and we were nervous about outsourcing. But um, as you'll be aware, Jay, um, one of the fascinating trends in the accounting industry, and arguably one of the disturbing trends, is the number of graduates coming through the universities is falling. Uh, this is true of all professions, but particularly so of accountancy. Um, and uh, so, you know, the younger ones are not coming through necessarily um, into the profession. And so that's led us to, I guess, take uh, outsourcing pretty seriously. 
to the point where we're outsourcing well over 50% of our, our annual accounts work now. Um, and through necessity, uh, because we, we simply couldn't find staff post-COVID, yeah. um, that's been a real opportunity for the firm because it's also enabling those people who traditionally did that work to step up or step into more advisory style work, which they're really enjoying. So um, I think there's a real opportunity there. We were, we're still waiting for the software to deliver, you know, the huge productivity gains that, we, that we've been promised. Um, but outsourcing is a big part of that mix. And the interesting thing there is it's not threatening existing jobs. Um, it's just making those jobs far more interesting. It is, as you said, it kind of frees up more space in the table for the accountants to focus on what they should be doing when mm. they are succeeding, uh, succeeding in their career. Rather, uh, You spoke of uh, tackling uh, the skill shortage. I'm just going to go back to it towards the later part of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you mentioned that uh, your firm has been a bit different in terms of advisory. Apart from that, is there a another unique or a non-traditional method that your firm employs that that's made you successful so far? Yes, well, um, over the last 10 years, obviously, I've um, consumed a lot of uh, information around the industry. There are a number of um, gurus, for want of a better term, who um, will charge significant sums of money to uh, help yeah. practitioners um grow their practices and teach them new tricks. Um, And one of the consistent things amongst those industry leaders is they tell you to specialize in specific verticals. Um, So, you know, you might decide, for instance, that if you're in public practice, you might look after the retail sector or you might look after hotels or accommodation or those sorts of things. Um, We've never done that. So we consider ourselves deep generalists, uh, which is a term I came across recently, love it, deep generalists. So um, where we require specialist intervention for a client, we will bring them in. So we're effectively like a general practitioner, if you like. Um, I've developed some skills in the tax area uh, through additional study um, and in strategy, but There are other areas. So we kind of act like a concierge, I suppose, um, where the point that people are using us as their first point of contact, I've got a problem, what should I do about it? As opposed to, I guess, when I first started out, where people would ring us and say, I've got an accounting or I've got a tax problem. Now they just say, I've got a problem. Have you got any advice? Um, So that, that in itself, I think, is is a wonderful trend, but I, I would actually suggest to small to medium-sized practices that they yeah. don't specialise in a vertical. Um, and the reason for that, particularly in the New Zealand market, perhaps not so true in Australia, is because New Zealand's such a small country with a population of 5 million people. Yeah. Um, I imagine Melbourne's bigger than that. Um, it means that uh, everyone kind of knows everyone. <laughs> or they know somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. Um, and so uh, for a start, there's a reluctance uh, 
um, to go to a professional who specializes in a particular vertical yeah. uh, because um, you know people are obviously fairly private about their business they don't want to uh, they assume um, wrongly that information might be shared or experiences might be shared or whatever so um, and the other thing was too I think what COVID taught us is that if you are going down the path to choose a specific vertical to specialize in you need to be very cautious I there's a colleague uh, who uh, operates his practice on this vertical principle mm -hmm. and his two target markets are hotels and accommodation right. and tourism and of course COVID happened the borders shut the economy closed down and all of his clients were out of work so um, and you could never have imagined that happening in a million years so I think diversity in terms of your client base is really key the other thing is too it makes coming to work a lot more interesting because you're you know you're dabbling in a whole host of different industries it does because you're you're, you're diversifying your risk and you're not putting all the eggs in one basket mm. and mm. Uh, i love the word deep generalist you have the generalist you have the specialist and then you have the deep mm. generalist as you who are pretty much the concierges uh, in, in dealing with uh, everyday problems not only financial and I think you really, um, those practitioners where their clients are ringing them for advice that's not siloed into accounting or tax, yeah. um, I think that's a wonderful place to be because it speaks of the level of trust that your clients have towards you. Um, and that's essential. So, you know, one thing I learned in my sales career is that people buy off people who they know, they yeah. like, and they trust um, and the trust takes a while in order to uh, to build that but um, it's a wonderful place to be when you're in that position and then you try then you start to see organic referral into the firm which takes longer than you think so um, certainly at startup level you tend to be reliant on seminars and marketing and advertising to um, to bring new clients in yeah. Yeah. But it's a wonderful spot to be when you're getting regular referral. It does, because at the end of the day, uh, in this retros that all of us are in, we are forgetting that fundamental thing about human touch and trust. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, even more than organic leads or all the advertising or whichever the marketing is kind of pushing, there's nothing better than a good word of mouth, which would obviously bring in the next horde of uh, clients to the, to any firm. And I can only see that becoming more important because business is becoming more impersonal. Um, and one thing I drum into my team is that there's a thing on your desk called a telephone. Pick it up and talk to the clients. They love hearing from you. They love to chat. And um, don't just ring them about accounting-related matters. Ask them what's going on in their life. Um, learn something about them as individuals you know if they've got children maybe remember the children's names or understand where the children are in their education system so that they might be primary school or secondary school or empathize with some of the life stuff that's going on for them as well so i think those soft skills um, are, are going to become more and more crucial for accountants over the next decade 
Um, we're very good at accumulating knowledge, yeah. um, and we're you know we're obviously knowledge workers in that regard. Yeah. But actually, people will gravitate to those people who invest time in getting to know them and then getting to know their business. So we're gradually moving uh, to an era where people-based accountants mm. be emerging as the successful ones, probably. You know, it was interesting. This, this, um, I always remember years and years ago when I was at MYOB, I um, visited quite a large accounting firm, probably about two hours' drive out of Auckland. And there was a partner of that firm who very much was the life and soul of the party. He was a, a the sort of person that everybody warmed to. Hugely uh, amusing guy, um, very giving of his time. Everybody loved him. Yeah. And I'll never forget him telling me one thing. He said, you know, I am the worst accountant in this building. He said, there are be- people out, outside this office who know 10 times as much about accounting as tax as I will ever know. Um, And I said, so why are you the partner? He said, because I get on with people. And that's my job. My job is to make it rain, to bring in business into the firm, to look after my team, to make sure that there's always something for them to do and that there's a future in the firm and all those good things. So actually, I think for those people who might be um, thinking about leadership later on in their careers, these soft skills are so important because it it extends beyond your relationship with clients. It's also your relationship with staff as well. It does. I mean, you are pretty much the rainmaker for your clients and for your Mm. business. And uh, there's an age-old thing where they say, People will never remember what uh, they you told them. People will never never remember what you showed them, but people will remember what you made them feel. That's and right. That's where accountants should be playing at. That's right. So empathy is a really important part of interaction with clients and staff members, and to understand that everyone has bad days, yeah. um, and uh, to get alongside people and talk to them on their level. Um, and that's one thing, a skill I've learned in life. Um, you know, I feel now I'm 54 years of age. I, I feel I can go into any sort of um, environment. Yeah. Uh, it could be blue collar, white collar. It could be ethnic. It could be Maori. It could be Pacific Island. It could be what I'm used to, that European environment. Yeah. Um, and and get on a level with people. And that's going to be so important going forward. We're faced with, both in Australia and New Zealand, with societies that are becoming multi-ethnic. We, um, and though, that interaction between those communities is just so critical. It is, it is. And uh, slightly moving away from a human touch to a bit of a technical touch. Uh, right. We need to be speaking about, not technical, but rather technology. We, we need to be talking about how AI is impacting uh, mm-hmm. our industry. Your thoughts on this? Uh, bring it on, is my initial thought. <laughs> um, bring it on. So interestingly, you know, we've started to outsource more of our work. And, and as I said, that's freeing um, the guys up to, uh, to work on far more interesting work than they currently are, yeah. both advice, Management accounting, which traditionally 
public practitioners don't really do a lot of, yeah. all sorts of other skills that they're starting to learn. So um, I don't think AI is a threat to us. Um, uh, it, it's it's going to open up new opportunities that we don't even know about at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it will take more and more of the drudgery of our job away. Um, I don't think people should uh, be concerned about it. I think they should embrace it. Having said that, I'm always mindful of a thing that Bill Gates said years ago about technological change. And he said, you know, it always takes longer than you think it's going to take, it would. Um, which seems quite comforting. And then he said, but when it happens, it happens really quickly. <laughs> so um, my advice to people is to continuously upskill in the in the industry. Um, there's uh, oddly enough about four or five years ago, I finished a, a master's degree in strategy and I did my thesis on the future of public practice accounting. And I went round and asked a lot of practitioners, you know, what their view was on AI and machine learning. And all of them uh, were enthused about it. Nobody saw it as a threat. But some of the themes that I got out of that research was it's really important to then use that time and preparation to reinvent yourself. Uh, because there's some skills that people rely on you now that they won't need um, when AI gets going. Um, you know, at the moment, the amount of times we're asked bookkeeping inquiries by our clients, which conceivably will be handled by AI in the future. So how are you going to add value to your clients in two, five, ten years' time? That's the key. And there's also some brand new areas that are opening up, which I think are hugely exciting in terms of data analytics, for instance. It's huge with corporates now, but it, it's inevitable that demand for data analytics is going to come down into the SME sector as well. So, you know, upskilling in that sort of area. Um, tax advice is, is never going to disappear. You can't tell me that people are going to rely on AI to give them tax advice. Um, certainly New Zealanders um, are terrified of inland revenue and they're certainly not going to take advice from a computer. So, um, you know, there are there are amazing opportunities to upskill your knowledge um, away from technical accounting yeah. to accounting that really adds value to your clients. Pretty interesting of what the future holds. Um, you spoke of how your firm had to embrace outsourcing in order to tackle the skill shortage and you have mm -hmm. been doing it for some time. And uh, how are you balancing this with the five in-house uh, staff that you already have at your firm and with outsourcing? Well, the other thing we did, which is probably a little radical, I suppose, when I think about it, um, I remember I bought, you know, the, when I initially uh, came into practice, I bought an existing practice, as I've said. Yeah. Um, and the advice of the retiring practitioner fascinated me. She said, you know, you must hire uh, financial accountants who are used to working in public practice uh, because they have tax, tax knowledge. And... Probably one of the benefits of me coming into this role without having ever worked in public practice is I was able to, uh, 
you know, to, to look at it with fresh eyes. And of course, I was learning a whole lot of tax rules and what have you that you would apply to the preparation of annual accounts, GST, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, gosh, if someone like me can learn this stuff, then there are a lot brighter people around than me who I can hire as staff members and we can teach them it. Um, so actually, I've always hired people from a management accounting background because guess what? That's where the opportunity lies in terms of advisory. I can teach them the tax and I'm here to ask their questions. And yeah. every day we catch up at 10 o'clock when the whole team comes to me with the and one of the questions I ask them is, what are your roadblocks? What do you need help with? Um, and uh, and that can often lead to, you know, a 10, 15 minute conversation about tax. And so we're learning on the job. Um, and so, yeah, that's for those people who are challenged in public practice area with um, attracting staff to their firm, take the blinkers off and and look widely around you. So the skills are the same in accountancy um, and you can teach the tax. So don't be afraid to, to bring in people who might have worked for five or 10 years in the corporate world in an accounting role into a public practice position because they will thrive. They would. They would. Understandably, yours is an interesting firm and your journey is, as you said, to use your word, has come full cycle and is going full cycle. Uh, in that case, what has been the most fulfilling uh, incident of your accounting journey? I guess it's those smaller firms that I that I took over when I purchased the firm or, or I've acquired as new clients and seen their growth. Okay. Um, and I don't just define growth by the number of staff they employ or their turnover or their profitability or whatever, but... Certainly, um, we've had some standouts. Uh, one firm I th- can think of, I actually acquired it when I took over the firm. It was nothing that I did. I just bought the firm. Yeah. And um, they, I think they employed about a dozen staff. I was meeting with them the other day. They have 120 now. And so their growth over, over 10 years has been phenomenal. Um, and we've been a key part of that support. Um, and we offer a raft of services into that firm. So when we first took over, we did GST and annual accounts. Now we do advisory. We we sit with the executive team. We give advice to the directors, all sorts of things. So um, that's really fulfilling when you can see that sort of growth. Um, one thing I would say to, to people who might be listening is... Um, uh, that's one of the most fulfilling things. One of the most challenging things, I think, is that some people don't act on your advice. Um, and that's okay too. You know, people are free agents. So um, you've got to prepare yourself for really investing in your clients, giving them quality advice, and them going off and doing the complete opposite. comes as a bit of a shock when it happens and a bit of a disappointment. But, uh, you know... Um, don't always anticipate that people are going to do what you suggest they do. Yeah, you can just guide them. That's right. You can That's lead right. a horse to water. Yeah. <laughs> you could. Just a quick question before we kind of uh, wind up. 
Mm. What's the best advice that you have ever gotten in your life? In my life? Yeah. Probably an old CEO of mine um, back in, uh, gosh, the 1990s in the first, when I was first out of university. Hell of a nice guy. Um, really high emotional intelligence yes. as well as intellectual intelligence as well. So he, he got the double. Some people excel in EQ and they're not so good at IQ and yeah, yeah. vice versa, but he got them both right. And I can't remember what I said to him that got this response, but um, it was a wonderful piece of advice. He said to me, Angus, be nice to people on the way up because you might meet them on the way back down. Well. <laughs> you just never know what life's going to throw at you. Yeah. Be nice to the people on the way up. You never know when you get up. Well, that's that's quite a, <laughs> I would say, eye-opening. Yes. Well, and it's humbling too. Yes. Um, and and that's really important. You know, as you have successes in your career, you've got to realize too that um, um, a lot of those successes are not down to you, they're down to circumstance, they're certainly down to your own hard work and perseverance. But, you know, there are a lot of things that got you there, including the team members around you and your family and loved ones and all sorts of things. So be nice to people on the way up. You might meet them on the way back down. Yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Angus. Thanks so much for being part of the show. And if our audience wants to uh, get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Oh, just uh, send us a, um, a request on LinkedIn. Be um, be delighted. Lovely, lovely. Thank you so much, Angus. Thanks a lot. I learned a lot and quite, a, I would say, a couple of uh, vocabulary in terms of, and lovely phrases as well, which I'm myself going to use in the future episodes to come. So thank you so much. Thanks a lot for being part of the show. Been a pleasure, Jay. Thank you for your time. Lovely. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode for the day. And we'll be with you again with another financial research, just as Angus. Thank you so much.